you have your Bibles this morning, I want to open to Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to continue there. I want you to remember this sentence. It's not how you start, it's how you finish that counts. I'm convinced that's true. And it's because of an article someone sent to me, and it said, the best way to achieve inner peace is to always finish the things you started. The person that sent me the article said, it's working for me. He said, I now make it a point to finish what I start, and I'm on my way towards inner peace. Here's what I finished today, he said. Two bags of chips, a strawberry cheesecake, a package of Oreos, a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew, and a large cheese pizza. (laughs) He said, I think it's really working because I feel better already. But it's true. It's not how you start, it's whether you finish, and it's how you finish that counts. One of the greatest tests of character and one of the greatest tests of leadership is this. How do you handle opposition and criticism? Now we're studying the book of Nehemiah, as you know. And Nehemiah, for the first several chapters, is in the construction business. He's leading the charge to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And in a sense, we're all in the construction business. Everyone in this room is trying to build something. Whether it's a marriage, a life, a business, a family... Every time you start building, you're asking for a battle. Those of us trying to build a marriage know it can be a battle. If you're trying to build a business, it's a battle. If you're trying to build a personal spiritual walk with God, it's a battle. And here's why. Just as God is in the building up business, the devil is in the tearing down business. And the wrecking ball that he uses the most to tear down what we are building up is criticism. Regardless of what you do, you're going to be criticized. So you might as well be criticized for doing what God wants you to do. See, that's what the hero in our story today, Nehemiah, it's what he faced in this fourth chapter as he shows us how to finish the drill. See, first you begin by sizing up the opposition. I mean, there are two kinds of people in this world. Some people are born again and some people are born against. (laughs) And there are people whose sole purpose in life is to criticize and tear down and oppose. Proverbs 4.16 says, Evil people are restless unless they're making trouble. They can't get a good night's sleep unless they've made life miserable for somebody. Some of you may live with these people. Or you may work with these people. And most of us know some of these people. There was an editor that put this in his newspaper. He said, if you find an error, understand it was put there on purpose. We try to publicize something for everyone. And some people are just looking for something to criticize. Opposition is a fact of life. Sometimes we get this idealistic notion that if we come up with ideas that are good enough and projects that are positive enough, we'll escape the criticism. But the next time you get that in your mind, just think about the car that you drive. Did you know the idea of motorized transportation met with opposition from the horse and buggy crowd? The Tennessee State Legislature passed a law that said anyone interested to drive an automobile had to put an advertisement in the newspaper and warn pedestrians at least a week in advance. Now, for some drivers I've seen, I think that's a good law. (laughs) Dr. Winslow Forbes wrote this. He said, when these racing motor cars reach 30 miles an hour, They must drive themselves. For no human brain is capable of dealing with all the emergencies that may arise 
should that rate be maintained for any period worth thinking of. The human animal is simply not destined to travel 30 miles an hour. Neither the human brain nor the human eye can keep pace with it. You're going to be criticized. No matter how good your idea might be, no matter how hard you work to try to please everyone, there are two things to remember about criticism and how you deal with it. First, criticism is condescending. See, Nehemiah and the people, they just got started building the wall. And all this criticism breaks loose. Look with me, chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. See, the devil is always looking to insult God's work and his word and his workers. And that's what happened. And you're going to find they use two primary weapons. First, they use ridicule. I mean, have you ever noticed how the world makes fun of God's people? Makes fun of the church? Look at how Hollywood portrays us as Christians. Right? (laughs) I mean, we are ignorant, fanatical, crazy, extreme, poorly dressed country bumpkins. Look how they portray ministers a lot of times. Every pastor is either a money-grubbing crook or a womanizing adulterer. Ridicule is very effective. I mean, there are people that can face a bullet easier than they can face ridicule. It's much easier to have someone yelling at us than laughing at us. And critics, they love to substitute ridicule for reason and laughter for logic. And these critics here in Nehemiah, they're the ultimate trash talkers. I mean, they question everything they could about the Jewish workers. They question their character, calling them miserable Jews. They question their commitment. Do you think they can get everything done in a day? They even question their competence. Tobias said if a fox climbed on that wall, it would fall to pieces under its weight. See, trash talk, it's been around for thousands of years. And as we'll learn, trash talk and criticism can hurt us. But it can't harm us unless we allow it into our system, unless we allow it to poison us. And also notice criticism is contagious. It's like a cancer. Do you ever notice cancer is contagious? I mean, it's not contagious on the outside of the body, right? If I had cancer, you can't catch it from me. And if you have cancer, I can't catch it from you. But it's contagious within the body. Cancer in one organ affects all the other organs. It can spread. It's one cancer in one part of the body infects another. And so does criticism. It's contagious. I mean, look at verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, they were angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Critics are like wolves. They run in packs. 
I mean, you go back to chapter 2, verse 10. There were two critics, Sanballat and Tobiah. In chapter 2, verse 17, they're joined by Geshem. And now here in verse 7, they're joined by the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod. Criticism has just spread. And there are always people who will ridicule and criticize if someone else just takes the lead. That's the thing about negative people. They attract other negative people. You know, it's been said that opposites attract. But that's not totally true. Because negative people gravitate towards other negative people. They attract one another. And they use the other weapons that critics love. And that's rumors. Verse 12 says this. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Think about this. The Jews who lived outside the city, who were part of the rebuilding team, began to pass along the same rumors they were hearing from the enemy. They got infected with the same virus of criticism the enemy had. And there's no bigger tool in the hand of a critic than the rumors. There's nothing more difficult to fight than rumors. And the lesson to learn here, before you take on your opposition, you have to size them up. I mean, think about a football team. Right? If a football team is getting prepared for the next game, they spend hour after hour watching film of their opposing team because they're sizing them up. They're finding their strengths and their weaknesses. And that's what Nehemiah did. And he kept in mind that criticism is condescending and is contagious. And then he sees the opportunity. See, the question is not, are you going to have opposition? Or are you going to face criticism? The question is, how do you respond to it? And you're going to see as we look at this chapter that Nehemiah did not react to the criticism. When the enemy called his people feeble, he could have reacted. He could have said, you're not a bunch of bodybuilders yourself. But he didn't. One year after the Yankees won the World Series, they had this ticker tape parade in New York City. And at the end of the parade, some of the Yankees were going to get up and they were going to speak to the crowd. And Yogi Berra was sitting on the platform and next to him was the wife of the mayor of New York. And she looked at him and she said, Yogi, you look really cool. And he said, thank you. You don't look so hot yourself. <laughs> See, don't react to criticism, but don't retaliate either. I imagine every pastor has gotten that hard, critical letter. I, I know I have. I heard about a pastor one time, he talked to another pastor, and he said, do you ever get hate mail? He said, oh, I get it all the time. He said, well, how do you handle it? And the pastor said, well, I always write these people back. And I say, dear Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, I want to warn you of something terrible that is happening. Some lunatic is sending me outrageous letters and signing your name to them. <laughs> That's one approach you can take. But I think Nehemiah has a better approach. David Brinkley, the TV journalist, once said, a successful man is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks that others are throwing at him. And that's what Nehemiah did. See, here's how you handle and deal with opposition and criticism. First, be prayerful. Verse 4. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. 
Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. The very first thing Nehemiah did was the best thing that Nehemiah did. He took that criticism directly to the Lord. See, some people make that mistake and they bottle up their feelings and their fears and frustrations and, and he just calls his ulcers. And that's the wonderful thing about God. He's available to let us tell him exactly how we feel. And there's two things we always should pass on to Jesus. One is praise and the other is criticism. And here's why. If I give the Lord the credit for anything good, I can also give Lord control over anything bad. Because the real danger in criticism and opposition is we begin to focus on those instead of focusing on the work that God has called us to do and focusing on the God that called us to do the work. That's why Nehemiah gives his battle cry. Verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. There have been many times in our history that soldiers have gone into battle being told, remember something. Right? During the Mexican-American War, it was, remember the Alamo. During World War II, it was, remember Pearl Harbor. See, God doesn't want us to remember our defeats. He wants us to remember our victories. That's why prayer is important because when you pray, you change the focus and you get your eyes off the opposition and the criticism and you put it back where it belongs, right on the Lord. You know, if you've ever gone hiking, you know there is this invisible but very real line of a certain distance above sea level. And beyond that line, you do not find snakes. Hikers on mountain trails are glad when they get beyond what they call the snake line. People that buy mountain property will frequently ask, is this above the snake line? When you pray, it's God's way of getting you above the snake line. So you can ignore the criticism being leveled at you. It's important to be prayerful. But also be prepared. Notice Nehemiah didn't only do the prayerful thing, but the practical thing. Verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. See, he did several practical things to prepare people for the worst. I mean, it's perfectly fitting when you lay down in your bed at night and you pray, God, protect our house from burglars. But you also need to make sure you've locked your windows and doors before you went to bed. <laughs> See, there's truth to saying that God helps those who help themselves. So look at some of the practical steps Nehemiah took to get his people ready to face this opposition. Verse 13. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. He grouped the people together by family. And that was wise because even the most mild-mannered man will fight for his family. Everyone needs family, right? Not just to fight for, but a family to fight with. One of the best defenses against the devil is to get involved in a group, in a prayer group, in a small group here as a family. Psalm 68.6 says, God set the solitary in families. And he does that because there's strength in numbers. 
So Nehemiah had everyone fighting beside their family. Verse 16. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. Nehemiah posted a watch. He set up around-the-clock, 24-hour guards to make sure that both the work and the workers were protected. And then he did this, verse 18. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. He also sets up an alarm system. In case of attack, a trumpet would blow and reinforcements would immediately come to that part of the wall that was being attacked. You know, we all need people in our lives that will rally to us when we sound the trumpet of help. We need to be persistent. You know, it's not coincidental that the criticism took place at this point in time. Because in verse 6 it says, So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together about half its height. For the people had a mind to work. You know the most dangerous part of a work is when it's half done. You ever notice how your, your car gets old when it's about half paid for? Just over a year ago, I started running. And over this year, I've increased my speed and I've increased my distance. But I've noticed something almost every day. About halfway through my run, I want to quit. About halfway through, my legs start to burn, and I feel tired, and I kind of feel a little out of breath, and I just want to quit. But I see that as I push through, I feel so much better in the end. See, this was a critical time to rebuild the wall because the most discouraging part of a job is when it's half done. That's when the scourge of discouragement sets in. It's just at this point you find out what you're made of because criticism can never stop you from doing what you're doing unless you let it. That's why this is my favorite verse, verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. There's a great lesson here. And that is you never leave the wall to fight the enemy. The only way the critics win is if you quit. The devil's two favorite words are give up. Can I ask you, is the devil tempting you to give up? Give up on your marriage? Give up on an idea? Give up on your vision? Give up on reading through the Bible? Give up on something? You're never defeated on anything until you just give up. I read about the POWs in World War II. And doctors say how soldiers would almost force themselves to die. They talked about patients who were sick, but not terminally ill. But they would suddenly get this unmistakable look, a million-mile stare, as if to say, I, I give up. I can't go on. And they would just give up. And within an hour, sometimes within minutes, a soldier that should have recovered dies. 
And the POWs called it give upitis. The doctors referred to it as ination, the absence of spirit. One doctor said that living was like holding onto a rope. All you have to do is let go, and you're a goner. President Calvin Coolidge once said, Press on. Nothing can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are the overwhelming power of success. See, God has given us an opportunity here to build this church for his glory, but also an opportunity for him to build us for his glory. And just as God is faithful to us, we need to be faithful to him and whatever he has called us to do and finish the drill. So can I ask you this morning, what have you been called to do? What has God called you to do? What do you need to do to be faithful in accomplishing that task? Maybe it's talking to me or one of the leaders here about how you can join in and serve. Maybe it begins by stepping forward and just surrendering your life and your will to him. Whatever your desire is, come. Come after service and talk to us. Stop by this week and talk to me. Just don't let another day go by, another opportunity go by. God is faithful to us. We need to be faithful to him. Pray with me. Father God, we know that there are obstacles in our way each day as we serve you as we try to share your love with others. So Lord, I pray you help us, protect us, give us the strength to continue to fight, to carry on your work for your kingdom. Lord, help us to be faithful every day to accomplish what you have set for us to do. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.